Hi guys, doing Chini Magic Family. It's your host Mark Karaki. Excited to bring you yet another episode of the podcast. And this week I had the distinct privilege of sitting down with Mr. Richmond Bassi, CEO and co-founder at Invest Bamboo, Nigeria-based fintech startup that is doing something amazing and much needed in Africa, helping Africans access global capital markets with a particular focus in US securities. Richmond is a great example of the founder problem fit equation. He was seeking to solve his own problem, which was to avoid continuing to lose money by leaving it in the bank. Invest Bamboo has experienced tremendous growth since launch in January of 2020, 300,000 users across Nigeria, and after a $15 million Series A, are looking to expand into West Africa and East Africa. Many insights and nuggets from this phenomenal entrepreneur who is creating something very much needed for the African market. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Mr. Richmond. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you. And yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's, it's pretty cold in Nairobi. Uh, and you, you, are, you were sneezing just before we got on here saying it's cold in, in Lagos, <laughs> which, which is something I, I, I never imagined is possible. So maybe your version of cold is, is pretty warm for us here in Nairobi. What is what's the temperature there right now? Um, I think it's about 23 degrees. Let me double check that so that I'm not, um, yeah, yeah, it's about 29, actually 29 degrees. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's scorching <laughs> from our perspective. <laughs> I think that would be probably 21 right now, uh, or even lower. Uh, it's a cold season for us. Is, is, it, is it, is it, is it a cold season June, July for you guys as well? Yeah, that's also when the rains start coming. So it's been raining a little, um, but it gets worse as it, as it goes further into the into the months. Got it. Well, I'm really excited to speak with you today. Huge fan of of, of what you're doing and just African founders in general. Uh, and you are Thank one you. of kind of like uh, the unique ones who is is kind of done some amazing things in a pretty rapid pace, a short period of time. As we dive into this, the thing that I learned. We learned from uh, your PA personal assistant is you have a certain phrase that you use all the time. <laughs> so I'll start. I'll start with that. Don't come here and chalet here. Explain to the uninitiated Nigerians what this means <laughs> and how it came to be a core part of your lexicon. No, <laughs> chalet is a word that just means to talk. To talk without you know much substance. It's like when everyone should be coming to give results about what you've done, maybe in a week or in a month, you're coming to Shalai, you're coming to just talk and nothing uh-huh. has happened. Right. So it's something that, um, because we, we default to action at Bamboo a lot. Um, we, we like people to take action. You make a mistake. I'd rather you make a mistake and come and say, okay, here's what we learned. So here's what we try, we try to right. And here's what we learned versus just coming to talk um, without results, without any action, without any efforts um, that has yeah. gone into trying to get results. So it became a thing at the company where, you know, for every, everyone now says, no, shall I? You just, just, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to borrow that for sure. <laughs> I love that. I love that technical stuff. Um, 
And you mentioned your company, obviously, Bamboo, and, and you guys are action-oriented. Why don't you introduce you, your company in your own words? What do you guys do at Bamboo? Oh, sure. Um, at Bamboo, we're on a mission to make invest, investing simpler for Africans. Um, investing in finance is such a complex thing, and there are many questions to answer, right? Um, in, although investing is a, is a hugely important part of our lives, um, it helps you secure your financial future. Investing helps you um, build wealth. Um, but there are many questions. There are many daunting aspects of it, right? Like, how do I get started? What do I buy? Um, do I have the access? You know, just a lot of things. And that's, that's what has made it impossible, almost impossible for many Africans in previous times, not to be investors, not to also be putting away money from their income um, that is growing exponentially or growing at a decent growth rate every year. Yeah. Um, so at Bamboo, we're on a mission to make this, to simplify this, to not only give the knowledge and the insights um, to help someone that wants to get started investing to go from being a newbie to being almost like a sophisticated investor in no time, but also giving access to the platform that allows this to happen so that you can not only have the knowledge and the insight, but also have the access to the platform that can allow you invest your money, grow your money, earn returns, earn real returns. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we're doing at Bamboo. Fantastic, fantastic. And I, I, I'll circle back to, to the company itself and the genesis and how that came about. But let's let's go to the to the originator, right, Mr. Richmond Basse. Your background, right? Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you're Nigerian. Uh, education. You have a mechanical engineering degree, a master's in management and organization innovation. So tell us, you yeah. know. You know, give us a little bit about like what did you want to be when you when you grew up, and, and how did it? Where did it all start? In fact, from an education perspective, you went to school yeah. in Nigeria, went to school abroad um, at some point. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that story, education to professional life. Um, I mean, I was like every typical Nigerian growing up in Nigeria, and your parents are saying that you should go and either be a, a, an engineer, a lawyer, or a doctor. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so that was, that was how I got into studying engineering and, but I always had a knack for problem solving, sometimes for also creating problems at home, like trying to get into the TV or figure out what's going on behind the scenes of things. Um, but I always caused problems for my parents and the devices that we had at home. <laughs> um, but then, um, but then I got into university, um, and and, you know, at, at some point, I started trying to figure out what I really want to do. I think, I think even earlier, my dad had bought us a computer at home. Um, and that's how I started playing. I, I, I got a, my, my personal computer pretty early as a, uh, I think, before, before I was 10, I had mm. a computer. Um, mm. So I started learning how to use a computer from a very early age. Um, and then I got into the university, obviously I'd already picked mechanical engineering as one of the things that were well, one of the options that you really had. <laughs> did that come um, about? Was it, was it out of just, how did you say mechanical engineering? Obviously you are one of the books tinkering I, with the TV. Was there a direct line between tinkering with the TV I, I, and mechanical I, I, engineering? I think they just said, I think they just said, yeah, you like to play stuff, go and start out for how to be a mechanical engineer so that you know how things work. Um, <laughs> right. Stop spoiling uh, yeah. them and fix them <laughs> for a change. Yes. yes. No, no. But when I got into the university, um, 
when I had a course on on writing code was where I got started, you know, interestingly with, with tech. Mm. Um, and, and that was where my interest was picked. And, and then I started interning at this tech company in London as a student. Um, and it was great. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is probably what I want to do. Um, just building products, using, um, product developments to solve problems. And, and the more I went into my degree, the more I was, you know, I was drawn away from mechanical engineering because it was so abstract. It was just a lot of abstract stuff, but this was very real. You could, you could identify a human problem, um, that, that you can use tech to solve. Um, so yeah, so by the time I was done with my degree, I was already resolved that, okay, I'm going to spend my career, um, as a tech, uh, uh entrepreneur or as a tech enabler. Um, so once I, I finished, uh, my degree and went to do my master's by that time, I was already working as a product manager at this tech company in London. Um, and then I moved back to Lagos after that. And I went to work as a VC also supporting tech founders, you know, build their company with all the experience I'd had from London. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's how I got started. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, your path is product manager, uh, which is, which is a very, it, it is not, most people do not become product managers as their first job at a, at a school. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, you know, why, why did they pick you? I mean, I think I was a data analyst at first, right? At, <laughs> at this company and, and, and then there was a lot of, there's a lot of ideas I was bringing that were going to, we're feeding into the product. Like, okay, how do we mm. improve it in this way? And then naturally I was just, okay, great. I, I, I joined the product team. Um, and, and that's how I, I started building my, my career as a product manager. And then, and I got some education behind it. So it became, um, almost like something I was set up to do. Makes sense. Makes total sense. And, and you mentioned you, you became a VC and you're advising founders. Yeah. I didn't see that I, in your, yeah. Talk about that. When I moved back to Lagos, I, I, I started working at this company called L5 Lab and L5 Lab essentially is a venture builder. And what that means is that there was a bunch of companies that L5 Lab had invested money into, um, and was a part of the the story of building the company, because it was almost like an accelerator, but maybe not an accelerator, more, mm. more like an incubator. Incubator. Um, mm. And, and it was, and it was first time founders. So there was a lot of support that they needed. And I was not on the investing side of the team, which is writing the checks and doing the deals, but I was on the operating side of the team where I was working with the founders for their products, helping them figure out their MVP, um, working on projects taking on projects that were a part of the company so that, you know, they can focus on other things. Uh, and I did that for multiple companies over the periods of B2C companies, B2B companies. Um, and it was a good learning experience at the time. So I was working in sort of like a VC, a VC firm supporting other founders. Um, right. and, and, and yeah, and I did that for a few years. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. But it's very exciting. Interesting work. Any, any successful. Or famous companies that came out of L5 Lab when you were there that we know yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, we, very old, like, this is many years ago. So there was Jobberman, Cherokee, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Camdora. Uh, there was a bunch of old companies that were the early, 
earlier companies in the earlier players African yeah ecosystem. yes exactly fantastic um that's amazing so i guess you, you were immersed in just founding and building product and so very naturally you're going to stay on that path either do something or be part of something and then you moved on to chief of staff at helium health right and that's an interesting role again it's one maybe probably one of the earlier chief of staffs in our entire ecosystem in africa i would imagine yeah and how did this happen and, and and what did you learn first of all how did this happen why did you do it and how, what did you learn yeah um i think at the time i was already done i thought i was i'd learned a lot i built my network and you know i i wanted to take all of these learnings from doing for multiple companies to channel it into one company that all my energy goes to that will be involved in the day-to-day decision making you know, for how things worked um, mm-hmm. and i was at that part in my career and then my friend i think my friend so the founder of helium health is a good friend mm-hmm. and before he had you know gone to start he was talking to me about what he wanted to do with healthcare in Africa and, and the whole plans. And then at the time I was still at Elfine. He went on to do it. And, and then mm-hmm. about a year or two later, he came back. He was, he was asking that I could join the team at the time very early on. And I was like, maybe no, that's right. This is not a good time for me. I think I, I had other priorities. Um, and then later on, he came back again. I was like, bro, we need you on the team. <laughs> um, we have a full team squad set up now, but things are going out of hand. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, work to do. Um, there's right. a lot of work available at management level that is that that we need help with. Um and and how do you how can you help we need you in? Um and that's how I joined Helium. So the, the crafting of the chief of staff role was like was more around okay, what are the things that help we need help with, right? Mm-hmm. How can I mm-hmm. help everybody that is a, already a leader in the business succeed? Um mm-hmm. that that takes away from what the CEO should be doing so that he doesn't have to spend his time doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And I can, I can step in and he focuses on other things. And that was the role. Um, so it was working mm-hmm. with the product team, working with the retail team, working with the you know, enterprise team, you know, helping them move faster um, and solve the problem and meet their goals quicker. Makes sort of sense. Yeah, we, we also... I, I also have a chief of staff office here at uh, Impact Africa. So I, I, we, we run a venture studio uh, and, and I'm also okay. an, invest, an investor with From Lean Ventures. So Impact Africa Network is a venture studio based in Nairobi. And we, we have that role as well, that chief of staff role. Um, and it's just a godsend in terms of the value that you, the lift that you bring to the organization. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder how people do that before. I think maybe the role was the role a CEO, COO, or has it just changed names, or what, what's your I view think, on this? I think it was borrowed from the government, from you know, government right. operations, because typically the chief of staff at, at government institutions or in the, in the president's office really runs the office, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and and then and then. Obviously, as we tech people, we like to construct things. <laughs> we like to like to do <laughs> and give them fancy names. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah then, that's what I think. Anyways. Yeah, fantastic. So what did you learn from that experience yeah. as chief of staff at Helium? Uh, oh, quite a lot, quite a lot. I think um, it was really just moving away from being adventure supports 
providing venture support to multiple companies to being there every day in the decision making um, that drives the business um, and then having to be responsible for things not as an external force but as an in internal contributor um, right. that was really in, in, you know phenomenal and that's what I wanted to that's what the point I was when I thought there's so much learnings that I can galvanize into um, into one company and channel my energies into and that was you know so we did a lot of good stuff um, at Helium which is good yeah fantastic look I mean, your path is, uh, your path to now bamboo, right? Well, that's been your path. It's a very, I would say almost like a tracked path, a very organic and natural and stepwise process to now founding your own company, right? You had amassed all this knowledge, the networks, everything from supporting early stage ventures to actually being part of building an organization that was yeah. startup. So. It is, it is very telling about where our ecosystem is because that path would not have existed 10 years ago for sure, right? Um, right. right. So it's a, it's a very, you're, you're emblematic of the maturation of our ecosystem right? as a, as right. a, as a venture, venture building startup ecosystem. So let's talk about uh, Bamboo, Genesis. Where did, when did you decide to make the leap and, and where did the idea come from? Um, so I, I think I remember receiving an email one time from my bank that said um, I'd earned 3% interest on my savings account, something like that. And <laughs> 3 the interest is not bad, actually. <laughs> uh, oh, dear Lord. Co no, co compared to what, what people earn in the, in the US and in, in Kenya. No, that's 3% naira, though. 3% naira. So interestingly, yeah. I had been having a conversation with a few friends, um, maybe a few days before, about how bad things were in Nigeria and just the microeconomic, you know, as, as we typically talk, talk about, mm -hmm. you know, how inflation was so high. I think at the time inflation was about 15%. Um, mm -hmm. we're talking about devaluation. We had a friend, we knew, we knew about a friend that had worked so hard, was run mm -hmm. a company that worked so hard and doubled their growth in that, in the year. And then devaluation happened and on their balance, on their books, it was as though nothing growth hadn't happened because of the wow. devaluation of the currency because he reported mm. their, their revenues in Naira. So we just discussed mm. all of that. And then days mm. later, I'm, I'm receiving this email and almost like a realization that, oh shit, like I'm losing money. Like, how can I have a 15% inflation and I'm being my bank? And I'm bank making 3%. 3%. <laughs> so I'm losing money. By giving right. my money to bank, I'm essentially right. losing money. Um, and, and that was just, interesting so it's like okay what do i do i need to take action on this and uh, i think i pulled out my money from the bag and i was looking for um where to put it right how can i return at least 15 percent every year just so that the, the purchasing against the naira yeah. yeah remains and that was where the, I, the the realization came from there was really nowhere that could really i couldn't find right there were other the micro savings platform the best you could see at the time mm -hmm. Was maybe ten percent, eleven percent, and not nothing that is at par with inflation or above inflation. Mm. Um, and, and then I I decided that I I was okay going to call an asset manager to see if I can try to move my money out of the naira into like mm. maybe some you know the, I, at the time I wanted to buy U.S. stocks, so I called up an mm. asset manager in Nigeria and I said, hey, I'd like to buy U.S. stocks. 
and I can I have a brokerage account set up for, for myself? And, and then the feedback, I think, was very interesting. And they said at the time that, oh, sorry, sir, the person that handles this is not on seat at the moment. Have you checked back in three weeks? And, um, <laughs> and then by the way, this is, we are going to email you our prospectus and wow, <laughs> and then tell you about all this. So essentially, um, the person was not on seat. So I would have to wait three weeks to open a brokerage account. That's, that was, that was insane to me because you know, I was trying to get into a position, um, right. and in three weeks, the prices would have, I could have lost or made money in three weeks if right. I had an intention <laughs> to buy stock. Right. And then, and then the KYC had to be, you know, emails flying back and forth, right? I had the form I was sent to fill, scan and send back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and Death by forms. <laughs> yeah. And then, and that was, that, that also was, was wild to me as well. And, and, and then the fee structure was just, you needed to be, essentially you needed to be a high networks individual to, to take advantage of the product. So it was, <laughs> there were high minimums, um, and it didn't just make sense. And I got very curious. So I did some more mm. research and I found out that asset managers in Nigeria, the largest economy in Africa, didn't have real-time access to the U.S. stock market, the most liquid stock market in the world. They didn't mm. have access to it in real time. And at best, what they did have were relationships with brokers, you know, in Europe, in London, in Europe, because of the time zone similarities. And mm. they would literally need to pick up the phone to say, hey, can I buy 1,000 units of Apple? Um, <laughs> or my, my they might as well be in the 50s. <laughs> exactly. I like that. It makes any sense. And that's how they do it for each other. Right. So that, that's where we began to build conviction for an opportunity for scaling access to investing options that were global stock markets across outside Nigeria, um, that did a bunch of things. And number one gave, you know, more than above inflation, like net net was positive returns. When you look mm -hmm. at it, for example, the U S stock market has returned, I think minimum, the S and P 500 about 10% dollar over the last 50 years, except for some exceptions. Um, so how can we get, you know, Africans to earn real returns because across the world, savings and investing is a, it's, it's what turns way out of life. Yeah, in yeah. many markets, it's like people okay. save money and invest money and money grows and over a five year period, you can, you can really need the right stock picks. You can really become a millionaire. Um, but in, 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 in Africa, saving and investing almost like a loss making venture. It is a uh, loss-making venture. <laughs> that didn't make sense. And then also, interestingly, here we Africans, we are a huge market for a lot of global goods and services. Like totally. we are a part totally. of the growth story yeah. of many right. companies in the global economy that's driving the growth of the global economy. So why are we only just consumers? Why consumers. are we taking money from the growth of like, for example, Facebook is a huge platform that a lot of Africans use. A lot of communities are built on Facebook. A lot of friends have connected. We all use Facebook in Africa. Like when, right. like we've always been using Facebook. Right? I remember when I was a teenager and Facebook was a thing. Everybody was connecting on Facebook and it has grown so much since then. But if, if you had invested in Facebook's IPO in, I think, 2009, you probably would have by now over 900 percent return on your on your money right um, but that's just things that weren't possible 
with us here. It, it was just not part of our everyday life. And that's what we want to change. We want to make that part of our everyday life. We want to make, you know, and, and we've, been, we've been successful at it so far, which is incredible. We are one of the few teams in Africa now that's, that can set a goal and say, hey, in the next 12 to 24 months, we want to churn out 1 million African investors and we have the capacity to go after such a goal and make it happen. And, and this is pretty incredible. That's, a, that's, a, that's a really, really exciting. That's really exciting. And, and you know, you had so many questions. So when did you found the company? You know, of course you had this kind of insight, the problem. When did you actually put a stake in the ground and say, we're starting this? When would yeah, you say we that launched in, in 2020, January of 2020. Um, but I quit my job a year before to start working on it. Um, okay. And, and my co-founder as well, I quit a job a few months before, before we went live, before we actually launched the app um, to, to the public. Um, but we had been working on it from about December of 2018, January, 2019, um, through that whole year. Fantastic. And you, you mentioned your co-founder, uh, Jan Mo, I believe is, is yes, her name. Jan how Mo. did you, how did you guys get together? How did you know each other? How did that come about? Oh, we've just been friends. Um, Jan Mo also studied in London. Um, and then in London, we're not really good friends, but when we go back to Lagos, uh, her, one of her best friends was also a co-founder at Helium. So somehow mm -hmm. we all just connected. It was just a, a big friendship group. Uh, and when, and, and then we had done some things together. I think she advised me a few things I was trying to do when I was working at Helium. And there was no other person that was, I could pick to be a co-founder. Um, I think she at the time also had the problem of investing like I did. Um, mm -hmm. So I remember connecting on, to tell her that, hey, we're going to solve this and I'm working on it. And she was like, um, yeah, great. That's fantastic. When you do, I would like to be your first user. <laughs> um, awesome. But we just kept going back and forth, bouncing ideas off each other. And it was only natural that you know, I was like, hey, you want to, you want to work on this with me? Um, fantastic. And what's her background? What does, she, what does she bring to the table? Like um, yo, so Yamo is an engineer as well. Um, awesome. And started her career working in governments, um, working as a, as an, as a, an assistant to one of the, um, the, I think is the, the, who was the minister of the power and housing at the time. Um, and then from there, she moved into being a key investor, investing in infrastructure across the continent. Um, and then she was a P investor for a few years until she quit working in PE to, to, to join me at Bamboo. Fantastic. So you guys have grown incredibly fast. Okay. So two questions. First of all, if you could describe the, the distinct phases of growth of, you know, the company, right. Uh, and then how, what's the secret? What, what have you done? Right. What, what drove the, obviously there was clearly a massive demand, right? You yeah. can't get away from that, but you still have to do some things right to grow at the pace you've gone. So describe for us. The different distinct phases of the company's evolution, yeah. if you can, and, and what has driven the growth other than demand? I think at the very early stage, it was just figuring out the problem or the solution to the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. all the supports that we got to, it was like, it says it takes a community to raise a child, right? And that's essentially what our story has been. There's been so many supports. 
I have so much support from a lot of people in the ecosystem when, at the early stage when we were getting started, you know, from, um, from our story about how we got our broker partner and he helping us, you know, with that relationship, right, to, you know, to many things. There are many, there can, many stories I can give you those early days that were just external people helping us, people that are not operationally involved in the business today, helping us with many components and figuring out many aspects of the business. Mm. Um, and, and that was what helped, helped us move fast pretty early because if you have the problems and then you can quickly access the solution or access someone that can provide help with, with getting you to the solution, it helps you move faster, right? Right, uh, right. But, but since we've launched the company and have users, the thing that, have, that I, I can say we're really obsessed about is our users. It's just how can we, you know, we, we put the users as our, as the yardstick, you know, the, the experience that they have, what they want mm -hmm. as the yardstick for driving a lot of the actions and decisions that we make. So we're really, really obsessed about how can we, about our users. And that's just, I think, the secret sauce to summarize anything that has happened at Bamboo because all the actions that we've taken, because apart mm -hmm. from just having a good set of people that are good problem solvers, and shout out to my, my entire team because... I think I have an incredible team of, of people. Um, apart from just having people that are hungry to solve a problem or want to, you know, do important work and not shall I. <laughs> <laughs> not shall I, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, apart from that, but, but also having our users as the center of our attention is, was, is something that is important to us or has been important to us and has driven a lot of our actions. And if you're just doing things that people tell you to do. It's almost easy. Like users are telling you what to do and what they want. And you're just making sure that on your end, you're delivering that, you're able to organize the team to quickly deliver on that. Um, I think today we have the best customer support service for any African business in the continent. And I can say that boldly because we have an exceptionally world-class customer support team. And that's something that Bamboo users enjoy and they love. Um, there are many mm -hmm. ideas that the customer support team have brought into helping our users invest um, smoothly. And anybody that experiences our customer support team will tell you that um, they, they had, they, they almost had a non-African experience with customer mm -hmm. service. Because our experience with customer service, you know, is very, not very great in the sense. And that was things that, you know, we were very particular about. It was what are the, what are the areas that we can, do very well at and differentiate ourselves from everybody that might be doing this or just give a, an experience that people aren't used to. So in customer experience, it was one of the areas in building the product and making it simple and intuitive um, and great and look great for people to, to help as a, as a trusted financial partner where our app can become a trusted financial partner to someone trying to go on that, that journey of building their wealth. You know, it's something that we paid attention to. Um, so just thinking about our users and thinking about the areas we can make a difference for them um, in their journey, when you map the journey of, of, of what they're about to do, um, was, I would say, is the thing that has made Bamboo very unique um, in the market. Fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, and especially when you can, you can create a symmetry of experience between the existing financial service providers, bank providers in African markets, customer services generally been poor, right? Uh, yes. And then you can go in the exactly. complete other direction and give exactly. a, 
different experience kind of people will talk about it and so that probably That's, drives the word of mouth and so on and so forth exactly. um so many questions so how, how big is your customer s- support function right now and i think you think about customer support from the product back into the, the call center or whatever yeah um maybe give us a sense of how you have managed to deliver such excellent customer experience apart from the product i'm sure that's a huge deal you have to have yeah. a great product but how operationally how did you how did you start and how has it grown give us a sense of scope um i think right now the team is about seven people if i'm not mistaken um but they all, all started with um I think in the early days, everybody in the company was involved in customer support. We were very, like, we we're very anal about making sure um, if someone is trying to do, like, every time we got an intercom message, we wanted to respond to it as soon as possible. We wanted to solve the problem in the quickest mm-hmm. time possible. Um, and then we, and then that was one of the early, early days. So it's like everybody making sure that, so everybody got to understand our users very early on. Um, and then, and then also, I think earlier on, we started doing support from, from social media as well. So uh, a lot of, I, I was always on Twitter, always on Twitter, trying to respond to people, always on Twitter, trying to respond to DMs. Um, so we kind of understood very quickly what the problems our users will be facing are. Um, and then we started designing and then I, I, I must went, and then we found our absolute amazing rock, rock star, the lady that leads our, our customer support team, Jennifer, she's completely mm. amazing. Um, and then she came on the team and then we're able to now streamline all of the, all of the, um, our desires for our customer support service onto her and set a very clear vision for what we wanted to achieve, what we wanted it to be like, you, you know, using customer experience or experiencing our customer service team at Bamboo onto our hands. And she just ran with that vision. Um, now we have um, our IMPS score, that's our net commuter score over 79, I believe. And that's pretty high. Wow, yeah. that's, um, that's pretty high. Yeah. You know, conversation mm-hmm. rating, always in the 90%, maybe 92, 93% uh, conversation rate. And that's how, that's the ratings people give us when they have come, they interact with us. Um, and, and then we have other metrics that we used to drive our customer support service, which is um, median time to close a, a ticket. Um, also, you know, average response time, that, that's one to keep under five minutes um, every time someone reaches out to us. So there's a lot of things that have gone into building that team. Um, but shout out to the people that work there and the amazing leadership they get from Jennifer uh, leads that team. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing when you great, when you get great people, man, it's like water to a thirsty person Absolutely. in the desert. So <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Shout out to all the amazing startup operators, man. People working in startups, making uh, founders yeah. and their teammates' lives easy. Because when you hire people and work with people, the, the, the difference between a great a rock star and everybody else is like, I don't know, it's man. Very it's orders of magnitude. <laughs> yes, yeah. no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, huge impact. So I, I know you guys had some regulatory running, right? Uh, yes. You know, talk to us a little bit about that because, you know, uh, Africa is a very interesting place, <laughs> very unpredictable. So t- tell us what happened with that and how you guys resolve it. 
Um, so I think I would shout out to the regulators still um, because they have been very supportive so far. Um, right. I think that the challenges we ran into was were um, very much just misunderstanding. Like there may probably many aspects of it that I don't know about, but I'll tell you what I know. I know that to a great extent, it's just um, aligning on on understanding of our operations. And that's what the regulators always want to do, right? They want to understand, right? And But for us, particularly in Africa, when they don't understand, you might not get... Uh, <laughs> This might not get <laughs> it comes fast, um, thick and heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that was what that was. I think with you know, we had the first first issue we had was the was the SCC. Um and because of the growth in the in the sector and the attention that was drawn to it, they they thought that they needed to be involved um in some way that to help with, you know, with investor protection and a bunch of other things. Um, and, and I think right now we're on the other side of it, where we've worked together to insert a new license category. So there's a new license category by the SEC Nigeria called, um, a digital sub, a sub broker for digital platforms. So it's like, okay, Hey, we want to, to be able to have a regulatory relationship with fintech companies where we can understand numbers, we can understand, we can have oversight essentially. Um, and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, also with the CBN as well, last year we had a run-in with the CBN and, and again, just misunderstanding. They didn't have context as to our operations and we had to provide that context. And again, on that as well, we are on the other side of things where we're, we're both good. So. I think that was that's one of the important things about building businesses in Africa is um, you would run into challenges, but but also you, you know, they are not impossible to solve, right? And if you do have collaborative regulators, you can solve them quickly. Um, there are aspects of you know our regulatory relationships that that aren't as fast as we want to to be. Um, but there are also good aspects of it as well. Um, and what we are excited about is the fact that as for us as a business, we now have that aspect of our, our, our work almost solved to a good extent because now there's a relationship. We can communicate better. They understand our operations better. Um, and yeah, and we can do business. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Now. To, to the to the funding side, fundraising. So you've attracted some top yeah. tier VCs. I mean, you know, everyone from Tiger Global, Graycroft, Motley Fool. If Motley Fool VC yeah. invests in you, it means I mean, because those guys are some of the most top tier analysts and uh, platforms for 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 information for investors. So yeah. when I saw that, I was like, okay, you know, Richmond and Yanmo and team are onto something huge. You know, what was that experience like raising from these type of, you know, uh, institutional top tier funds? Um, there are many, there are many stories. There are many sub stories in the fundraising journey that. Let's, let's hear that. Come pretty on. Pretty interesting. <laughs> no, I mean, fundraising wasn't funny. It wasn't, it wasn't all rosy because I was one of the founders in the world that was fundraising when COVID hit, like when the oh, world no. was just introduced 
to this pandemic. So it was 2020, uh, we had done YC in the first quarter, and then this was somewhere around um, February now or so, and then YC had to to shut down because of this COVID. I think someone in, um, yeah, there there had been a COVID scare, um, and YC had to switch its operations from, you know, because typically everyone comes to Mountain View, and then we have this dinner once a week, uh, so we had to switch that up and everything started happening online and then, and then demo day came and then we're the first batch that had demo day online. It was like, this is a, a pretty interesting wow. experience. <laughs> um, yeah. Groundbreaking. Interesting. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. uh, and then, and then I started fundraising for our seed around and yeah. And then it was tough because nobody was writing checks. Like nobody, nobody knew where the world was going. Um, because of COVID and COVID was so, all these new things, a lot, everybody was afraid. Most, like most PC firms were trying to triage their existing portfolio to see, okay, hey, who is going to die? Yeah. Who who's do we exposed? Need, yeah, who's <laughs> exposed? Who do we need to double down on to give more cash? So a lot of their focus were around their portfolio companies and nobody was really writing new checks. So that fundraising period was kind of extended because, because of COVID. Um, but we we're, were able to successfully close the round in in that COVID year, and that was that was great. I was very relieved. Um, well, who were your seed investors? Oh, there was a bunch of them. There was uh, Future Africa. There's Impressive Capital. There was Nuskin. There was Chandaria Capital. There was um, yeah, a bunch African, of Africa, African based African focus, investors. That's yeah, really African cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and then. Yeah, and then and then we closed that round, and then we went and did some work and grew, and when we get into certain growth rates, and I thought, okay, great, maybe now will be time to start working on um, Series A. Um, so I, I I I said I said that to myself, and I started talking to this not because I had started around, but I wanted to just get ideas around what what does it take to build to raise a Series A, um, right. and I started talking to a bunch of funds, and someone made an offer just from having conversations and actual conversation. Yeah. Explain the company, explaining what we're trying to do, explaining where we are at the approach rates, um, the for the vision. And I was like, okay, bro, here's an offer. <laughs> I mean, that's how I started fundraising our series A, just preemptively in that way. So I got an offer. I was like, oh, what is this? And I got some advice and then I, I was pulled into a full round. So I started having conversations until that round closed. Fantastic. Well, uh, I, I would definitely have loved to participate in, in, in your C and maybe series A. We, we just close our, uh, our first close from here ventures. So that's our, our VC oh, firm. Uh, that's nice. Yeah. So we, we are actually about to make our first investment here in the next couple of days. We're very excited. Um, oh, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah. So, um, so Obviously, when you work with these uh, institutionals, it's, it's a very kind of different thing than raising a seed, right? So what, what would you say are the main differences so that people can be prepared? Okay, raising a seed is one thing from, from I guess, you know, uh, seed, seed stage investors. Series A, did you see any difference or are they pretty similar in your experience, in the experience of, well, it's the very different. of investors? It's very, very different. Difference, the differences are very clear from, from many things. And the one is, at the seed, even pre-seed level, seed level, the type of investors you're talking to are very different. Um, mm. For example, you know, your pre-seed, 
or your seed probably are starting out talking to angels, a lot of angels, um, right. to write angel checks for you. So as the founder, that's pretty important because um, the angel network is somewhat a backbone for a lot of other things, good things that can come ahead in your future. For example, angels can introduce you to people you can hire. Angels right. can introduce you to other funds because a lot of angels count for VC funds, right? And so, of course, of course, angels, if they're on the ground, right? You're assuming angels yeah. on the continent. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about angels on the ground, yes. I, I mean, angels in general, because they're even some, sometimes companies want um, access to international example, relationships. But, yeah, international relationships as well. So even angels from Valley, global angels from everywhere that are just particularly interested in what you're trying to build. And because sometimes they are, they have a specific area of focus. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's one difference. And then your seed is where you begin to see, maybe if you're an African startup, you see more local VCs getting interested, right? So you want to be able to have local VCs participate to sort of give some sort of validation to what you do. Because many times when you are even talking to a global VC, they want to check if anybody local is involved or is participating. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, and then once you're journeying towards series A, it's like, um, is now talking to funds with larger check sizes that write larger check sizes. Um, and then fundamental differences as well for the seed and the pre-seed is probably done on a convertible note, like a sage note. So the process is the legal process is, is less burdensome where you can just sign one document. You just need to have an agreement on what the valuation cap is. Um, and then you can pretty much close the round pretty easily without a lot of legal overhead. Um, but in the series A, it's quite different because it's a price round. So you need a lead right. investor um, to, to spend time with you, spend time doing due diligence, spend time um, essentially doing all the work for everybody else. Pretty much, um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, and that's also a very different process, especially the founders go to is very heavy on legal because there's a lot of legal documents flowing back and forth. You have to review a thousand and one documents. You have to under now understand a lot of things, what uh, liquidation preference means, what, uh, you know, you need to, there's a new, almost like a burst of well, knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also a burst of knowledge in, in your learning curve if you're a founder that hasn't done this before, because you learn a lot in the process because right, you don't do a lot right. of things, right? And now you're having to right. interact with them at a close pace. So you're about to sign documents that can be for good or for bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a lot of yeah, it, it, contemplation there. Eh? Exactly. It's very different. Um, and, and then pulling that around together, apart from your lead, to make sure that the allocation that you want field is filled. Um, right. so, so, so those are the subtle differences. And of course, there's the board structure that now you have to have a series. Exactly. Now you have to organize the board. Exactly. Right. And we can talk about that in the next phase before I for yeah. this, this next question. So obviously, we've gone through a explosion of venture in, in Africa in 2022. And I think, yeah. when did you close your Series A? Uh, in January of this year. Oh, no, wait. Last year or this year? This year. This year, yes. Okay, so it was a pretty pro it was a pretty lengthy process. Yes, it was. Okay, and you know we've seen, so last year was a valuations bonanza, right? I mean, <laughs> the folks, 
right? <laughs> Africa, we saw some very different, it was a very different venture market, startup market, startup landscape in Africa, unprecedented. So what's your view on, on the current adjustments? And will we, we see down rounds in the next 12 to 18 months, 24 months? Um, well, to be honest, I really don't know. That's the honest answer. I think that it, it's inevitable that there will probably be down rounds. I think there've already been some um, in our past. I, I think that also with what is happening in the U.S. and the expectation for a recession in the U.S., um, almost like hits everybody and impacts everybody equally. Um, there's not, in, I think in the first quarter of the year, looking at the numbers, there's not been a great impact on the Africa, African deals. Um, but I think that it will catch up. I think that um, what, if you look at a lot of what the different VC firms are doing, you know, I think YC sent out a note, um, a bunch of other funds sent out a note to their, to their founders. It's just being default alive. So it's, right. it's, do you have enough money to keep the company default alive over the next 12 to 24 months? If that's how long the recession is going to last. The recession is going to last up to 24 months. I don't think it might um, if it happens. But if it does, the point is, are you able to be default alive through this process? And if you're mm -hmm. not, how do you cut costs quickly? How do you maybe raise a quick bridge or raise a round that can make sure that that happens? And I think that for companies that aren't able to be default alive over the next 12, 24 months, if the recession hits, um, we'll maybe die um, or have mm -hmm. to raise down rounds because they just need cash to keep things afloat. Um, because growth isn't also happening as much because of what exactly. is of, of the market. Yeah. Um, yeah, default yeah. align is antithetical to growth in a sense, if you yes. think about it. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. And so if you signed up for a high valuation, that this is what we're going to hit and you'll raise that money, euphoria and all, and all of a sudden, you know, you have to push for that growth. And you know, Africa things don't grow other than maybe you guys are, you kind of defy gravity, right? So not everybody <laughs> will be as lucky as, as you guys have been or, or whatever. So it's just going to be interesting um, to see how things play out in the next 12 to 18 months. I think the ecosystem is going to learn a lot and there's going to be, uh, it's part of the evolution process, I would say, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so too. I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll all be here to see how it plays out. Um, but, but I wish everyone all the best. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So board, board structure, you know, gives some people a sense of, you know, uh, that whole experience, because um, I would imagine after Series A, it became more serious and more real. So, you know, how often do you guys meet and how a meeting is run? And what advice would you give to folks about preparing to work with a board, the do's and don'ts? So meeting frequency, how the meetings are run, you know, advice on working with a board uh, you can give to others. Yeah, um, so we meet quarterly, we have quarterly board meetings. Um, and the meetings are typically, you know, reporting the state of the nation and where state of the bamboo nation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. the bamboo nation and where things are going. So it's like having a, a, an extra layer of responsibility on you as a CEO, as a management team to report exactly on what you're doing and carry your investors along. And I think it's a pretty interesting, um, 
an important part of governance for every company, at, especially at the level where you are. If you, if you have raised $15 million, you need to be able to report and give account of everything you're doing. But working with boards, it depends. It also depends on who your partner is, who is sitting on your board, you know, with you. It can be pretty instrumental to, you know, to your company's growth and, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. help with it. Um, and for us, I think, or the advice I would give is to make sure that you pick your sleazy investor, you, you know, carefully, carefully <laughs> because you're probably going to be in bed with them for the longest time. Long the time. investor that stays with you the longest time, because mm -hmm. they are the early investor. And if you do, and if you're happy and satisfied with, um, with who you picked as your lead investor and who is sitting on your board, it'll be a natural relationship um, where you are vulnerable, where you, you, know, you talk about things that are going great, you talk about things that aren't going well, and you can get advice, you can get help, you can get support for, for those things. And, that, and that's what we need is. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, th three more minutes before the top of the hour, and I, you're a busy CEO, and I know you've got to get, get on with your day. So we'll just... Usually by now I'm, I'm wrapping up with my with my uh, final questions, so I'm, I'm gonna skip the organizational questions and culture and <laughs> that stuff, and let's just go to the to the rapid yeah. fire round. Um, well, I'm sure we'll have a part two, maybe a year or two from now, and we can kind of go more into the organizational stuff. Yeah. Um, rapid fire round. So I'm just gonna ask you some, put out some words, and you know you can just respond to them, right? In terms of what comes to mind, right? Yeah. So uh, here we go. You ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Africa. Lots of opportunities. <laughs> Fantastic. Entrepreneurship. Hard. <laughs> All right. Honesty is, honesty is really the best policy. Uh, 2030. Um, 2030, perhaps a future Africa, a different Africa. Um, perhaps if we all work hard. Cool. Fantastic. Listen, at uh, 2030, I, I see people like you kind of basically, you know, holding court in terms of uh, uh, influencing things on the continent. Uh, I, I, personally, I, I really believe we're going through uh, an evolution, a uh, cultural yeah. social evolution driven by venture building. Uh, I, I can say right now, just based on who, how you present yourselves, what you've been able to do, the kind of person you are, you're definitely going to be somebody who has an impact in Nigeria, on the continent. And for me, my hope is that we can capture the bigger picture beyond, okay, we've built our ventures and we've overcome our own personal personal uh, needs, right? And what do we do after that? So I, I, I'm a firm believer in that uh, this window of opportunity presents something that could be different because there'll be a bunch of people showing up post-2030 into the, uh, the, the, the positions of power and influence. What they do yeah. is going to be the, the destiny of Africa. Uh, I, I wrote a piece right. called uh, 1000 Lee Kuan News. And that's in our venture studio. That's kind of my, the thing that drives me. I am working to, to, to shape the thinking of all the folks who read through our program so that when they show up with economic empowerment and influence and networks, what do you do after that? The purpose is not yeah. just self-enrichment. The purpose is going to become uh, transformational figures in society. So I see you as one of those people. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, let's see. Yeah, good, good luck with all that. And thanks for being on the podcast, by the way. 
Sure, Mark. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.